You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome in full hour-long episode tonight. Talking about the Mississippi game coming up on Saturday at the arena, as well as the week that just happened. Some of the developments on the roster with Elijah Weaver and some of the things that didn't develop on the roster, uh, like Luke Frazier. We'll talk about all of it tonight. Before we get to it, Flyer fans, I wanted to take some time to talk about a Flyer-run business by Flyer alumni that is one of our sponsors, and they're bringing you this episode tonight. I'm talking, of course, about Healthnetics. Healthnetics CBD is founded and run by a family of UD alums, the Murrays. Healthnetics is a premium CBD brand and available online at healthnetics.com. All products have a QR code directly on the packaging, linking to lab results so you know exactly what you paid for when you buy such products. If you go to healthnetics.com right now, use promo code FLYERS, you will get 10% off your order and free shipping. That's promo code FLYERS, 10% off your order and free shipping if you go to healthnetics.com. All CBD companies are not the same. You can trust Healthnetics. Again, go to healthnetics.com. Use promo code FLYERS for 10% off your order, and they are kind enough to bring you the episode that begins right now. To Hall, somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good.
This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud. I'm your host, Sully, bringing you nothing but the goods, the most intelligent Dayton Flyers basketball conversation on the internet, radio, or otherwise, wherever you're listening to us this week. I thank you that you're going to spend the next hour with us. We got a lot of stuff to get to tonight. There's Dayton Flyers news. There is preview for the game coming up on Saturday. Luckily, we find ourselves in a perfect week for podcasting, and I say that because the Flyers have had no games this week. And they kick it off again this Saturday. Um, I see kick it off. They tip it off this Saturday against Old Miss. And I always say this is a perfect time for podcasters. And we have these like one game per week type of things. Because it gives me plenty of time to get you a good guest. It gives me plenty of time to put together a show. And gives me plenty of time to release it to the masses. So the Dayton Flyers have thrown me a bone. So I will throw you a bone right back. And again, I thank you for being with us for the next hour to talk Dayton Flyers. Oops. I can't do it alone, of course. And with that said, my counterparts are with me tonight. Blackburn all the way from New York and Kevin Toledo from Chicago, where I am sitting as well. Blackburn, what's going on tonight, man? I know that you were a little bit pumped up about that double, double overtime game. And dare I say, you probably got way more into it than you thought you were going to. Did you not? I mean, it had some comedic value as well because it was it was a very poorly, poorly played game that would not end. But you know what? Somebody pointed this out today on on social media, where you know there's a lot of astute observations. And uh, Dayton could be four and zero; they could be zero and four right now. So three and one, I think we take that, right? Yeah, it is kind of funny to think about the fact that Dayton could be zero and four, but it really isn't that far of a stretch to think about. Uh, rounding out the um, the threesome tonight uh, to do the podcast um, of newly acquired Cleveland Browns podcasting fame. It's KT uh, chopping it up with us also. KT, what's going on tonight, man? <laughs> Brownies? Fame Brownies. is an outrageous word in the last word to describe that. But, I don't know. Uh, You've hey, spoken to Baker Mayfield before. It's, that's like decently famous. Hell you know? of an intro. Hell of an intro. And let's just be clear. When you intro saying that you were going to bring on a good guest, Blackburn and I are not the good guests. <laughs> no, we'll get, we'll get to him. That. Speak for yourself. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the guest tonight. His name's Nick Suss, and he is uh, the beat writer for Old Miss for the Clarion Ledger. Uh, I'll mention later on in the podcast that you know, we got a reporter from the Clarion Ledger last week to do the MSU preview, and that went really well. So I was like, the hell with it. We'll double down. We'll get somebody else from the Clarion Ledger. So that's exactly what we did. Um, so Nick Suss coming up in the middle of the show. Before we get to him, we got to discuss some things, and that's why we come here around the virtual table is to discuss things that are related to our Dayton Flyers, not the least of which is the NCAA decision, uh, the D1 Council. That sounds really official, guys, like D1 Council. That sounds like something out of the Hunger Games, does it not? It sounds like a bunch of guys with hoods sitting around a dark yeah. room. <laughs> yeah, it probably is, but like Condoleezza <laughs> Rice is there for some reason. A lot of, a lot of homoeroticism. Yeah. Um, so the, the the D1 Council decided today that all transfers from this past year will be eligible immediately. And if you're just catching up with the situation, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, because most people that listen to this podcast have been caught up with the situation. 
But <clears throat> Dayton had one transfer on their roster that could truly make an impact this year. His name is Elijah Weaver. Uh, he was um, kind of a, a middle contributor for the USC lineup last year. I believe he averaged like six points a game. Um, so he was on the floor, made contributions. He wasn't a starter by any means or like a key contributor, but he did good things. And I think that that will translate well to the A-10. So with all that said, He's been sitting on the bench this year, and throughout the course of the offseason, people that are diehards of the program have been clamoring for UD to apply for a waiver, conveniently uh, the Weaver waiver, as we've called it, hashtag Weaver waiver. It's out there now. Please, hashtag Weaver waiver. Let's get this done. Um, But UD had paused applying for a waiver from the NCAA. And basically I could not figure out why, because not only has the NCAA been applying or clearing waivers for just about everybody who applies for them, but there is no downside to applying for a waiver right now. And everybody that is on a roster does not lose a year of eligibility in the eyes of college basketball right now. So speculation ran rampant. And when I start to hear types these types of things from UD, I start to think grades. Because when there is quite literally no downside to applying for a waiver and getting this kid eligible, you start to think that other things are at play. And guys, I don't think I'm saying anything new that when we have situations like this, it's not that UD is lying or that I have a problem with them lying. They lie to us all the time. That is their prerogative as a private school. And frankly, It's quite good business to handle things that the way they do. They have a nice tight circle. Everybody stays tight lipped. And then they tell they, they, you know, they spoon feed whatever crap that they want out to the masses and specifically the flagship. I mean, I'm not knocking WHIO. They're just they're the mouthpiece for UD. So when there's news that comes out, WHIO gets it and they and well, they disseminate it. My point is simply that. UD gains nothing by being transparent, and I don't think they've been particularly transparent in this degree, but when we talk about things like this, and you say, hey, there's no downside for applying for a waiver, and then they don't do it anyways, you just open yourself up to speculation, which is why I came on the program weeks ago and said, I think this has something to do with grades, but... Again, it's good business for UD to handle things like this because it just doesn't behoove them to be fully transparent with people because they're a private school and they don't have to. Um, Blackburn, I wanted to get your thoughts on the whole situation, but more specifically, I think this is a piece that UD desperately needs to be competitive in the A-10 this year. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I mean, first and foremost, you're right. I mean, this year is like Thunderdome. You know I mean? Anything goes. They're giving waivers to anybody. Um, and like you said, it makes no sense whatsoever not to at least apply. Um, so we're only left to speculate. And I, I agree with you. I, I assume it's got to be grades related. And this waiver announcement is probably coming at a very, very good time because I think the UD semester uh, just wrapped up. And hopefully Elijah was doing his work the past semester. And, you know, knock on wood, hopefully the kid's uh, eligible to go against LaSalle. Yeah, because KT, I mean, you said it on, on the Rapid Reaction podcast from the Mississippi State game. And I mean, this, we're not telling anybody anything new. What UD desperately needs right now is guard depth. And this is what Elijah Weaver gives you, right? Guys, <clears throat> the game on Saturday was the first time we've been out of the 60s this season in scoring. Yeah, we needed two And overtime. only because we went to overtime. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was 64-64 at the end of regulation. Rest in peace to my, uh, my under bet. Oh, that's got, a tough one. That is a tough one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that one looked good the whole time. 
the whole game. I know. No. I said that. I was like, man, that this whole this bet looked good for like thirty nine minutes and forty seven seconds. Yep. <laughs> yep. But you guys nailed um, everything else. We need some help. We really need a lot of help. Well, granted, he has to beat out Wilson first. Let's not forget. Yeah, yeah, Wilson's got the game experience. That's huge. He's got the minutes under his belt. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm with you 100%. Yeah. It's either in a situation like this, you assume allegedly that it's either grades or an injury, right? And because Dayton is small and private, those things leak like a sieve if something like that was like an injury or something. Well, let's put it this way. It's a lot easier for UD to hide an injury or sorry, to hide an academic situation than an injury situation. Exactly. Like, I can tell you guys right now, listeners, a million times, how many times I've gotten a DM from someone that says, hey, um, uh, Mule Sissoko is walking around with a boot on campus. Like if any basketball player is walking around with anything that even resembles something out of the norm on campus, somebody is texting someone about it. And so that's why I always believe that there's just something at play when we, when we talk about stuff like this. On the flip side, we got some good news and bad news today. Um, do a little bit of a good news, bad news sandwich to start the uh, the cast this week. But the bad news was that we got some more information on Lucas Frazier, the other freshman who we mentioned last week, has been particularly glued to the pine in the first four games so far. And frankly, what we learned about him was that he's been dealing with a lot of injuries and more specifically had an emergency appendectomy this past week, um, which doesn't lend itself to playing basketball anytime soon. So you add in that we are possibly getting Elijah Weaver back and then subtract the fact that we're not going to see Lucas Frazier at all this season. And let's be honest, guys, like I saw the article today that came out about it. He said, oh, maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks, maybe five weeks. When you start to say things like that, I tend to go towards the highest number that you pick. Um, And given that six weeks from now takes us pretty much to February, uh, I I just do. You know, I said this last week. I I don't see this kid contributing at all this year. And it's, it's not a knock on him. I just don't think he's ready. Number one and number two, it seems like he's been injured a lot or, you know, he's had some health concerns. To add on top of that, something I'm breaking on the podcast right now is that we know uh, a grouping of the freshmen had uh, coronavirus in like August or September, which I'm sure threw a wrench into some things as well. So add all those problems on top. And guys, we're talking about kind of like a weird season again, but I just don't see how Lucas Frazier is going to contribute to this team. Right. Do you think he's looking down the eyes of the portal at this point or no? The transfer portal? Possibly. I don't know. It's pretty early. It's pretty early on. And well, here's the other thing too. As I said earlier on the cast, nobody's losing a year of eligibility right now. Right. So right. unless the only the only thing that I've said about this Dayton team, and I actually want to ask you guys this to open it up for tonight because now we're like 12 minutes into the cast and I've been doing nothing but like presenting the news. But Dwayne Cohill has the torn ACL. He's done for the year. He's got two years of eligibility left. Lucas Frazier, it doesn't look like he's going to play at all this year. He will have four years of eligibility left. He'll basically be a glorified, you know, college freshman that's that's fresh to do whatever he wants. What does that mean? Do you see either of those guys playing for UD ever again? Because they have a really strong class coming in this next year. And, And I just, I don't see where Dwayne Cohill fits into that piece. As strong as he is, as great of a player as he is to come off the bench, when you have three guards that you just recruited, why are you sticking around, right? 
Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, I, I, this has been proven true time and time again. Every guy that plays D1 basketball thinks they're NBA quality, right? <laughs> they're they're hyper, hyper confident. Um, but you're right. Like the business of college bas- basketball has changed so much where it's like, and you see the old school coaches talking about this all the time, where it's like, if a kid doesn't break into the rotation right away, he's already think he's already halfway out the door. So yeah, I mean, given the fact that you can kind of, hit the portal and maybe be eligible the next year right away. That's definitely some, some motivation to, to look at the roster and say, well, where I fit in here. You know what I mean? And like you said, Sully, there, there are a, a bunch of big time guys coming in next year. Um, yeah. Cohill. I, I don't know. I mean, he, maybe he's got some loyalty to the program, but yeah, Luke Frazier needs to, he needs to start hitting that internet for some, some research on, on, <laughs> on dorms and stuff like that. I can see. Cause I don't both. think it's, <laughs> It ain't working out. I can see them both here next year. Um, they could be, yeah, sure. First of all, they're two Cleveland boys. You know we tough. That's for true. A challenge. That's true. But yeah. here's the thing, guys, and it, it's got to be something health related, injury related, because he was voted. What about by mental? The- what about mentally related? That's Emotionally related? You okay. have to that. think about mental health right now. Thank you. I'm it's a big proponent of mental health. <laughs> look, at my, look at my Twitter. You'll understand. <laughs> But <laughs> I'm a proponent of mental health. I, I really vo- support it. He was voted <laughs> the number one player, the D D two player of the year by the Ohio coaches. This kid's not a scrub. He's no, got to be better than the walk-ons. So that's why it's got to be something. Uh, I'm hoping that the obviously get better soon. Like that's most important. But um, the kid's no scrub. So it's got to be something like that. KT sending him a get well soon card. This yeah. absolutely. Um, so don't yeah. do it. His mental health. We got KT. It's a good point. I mean, the mental health is the key here and the thing we care most about. So Luke, stay strong mentally, physically, and emotionally. And with Cohill, I think Cohill would look forward to seeing these guys that are coming in next year. And that's just as much of an attraction to these, both these guys. You think he's got some dog in him? He's got dog in him. I I mean, he's, we're talking about the guy who was getting shots up after the game last, last year. Remember that? True. True. That was a real deal, man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, long way of saying here in the first part of the show that there there's good news and bad news right now in Flyerland, but the <clears throat> overwhelming issue that we, we keep going back to is that the Flyers need depth. They need depth badly. And and there's other issues that we talked about on my, my live pregame from Timothy's Bar and Grill last week. I said that there there's basically three issues that are plaguing the Flyers. And, and guys, I, I want to get your thoughts on these as well. But... <clears throat> The last five minutes are, are still a concern. Mm-hmm. The turnovers and the rebounding. I think UD can win despite their rebounding efforts, and last year is all I need to point to to prove it. Um, I think that they're going to get better down the stretch. The thing that concerns me the most is the turnovers because it's something that has to get corrected immediately, immediately for UD to win games. And, and guys, I, just, I don't know. I don't see that. I don't see that happening, and that's why I think UD is going to lose on Saturday is because they're going to keep turning the ball over at the clip that they are. Well, not only that, but Sully, you and I were talking about this before we, we started the cast tonight. I mean, I'm watching Ole Miss play Middle Tennessee right now. Shout out to Jordan Davis. And, I mean, they play – they're an elite defensive team. I mean, they they get after you. And, you know, I guess the biggest concern for me as far as the, the turnovers are concerned is that given the lack of depth, I mean, maybe some fatigue plays into it, but the majority of these turnovers are coming from the upperclassmen. Right. I mean, well, and and they're unforced errors. Like, that's what you really need to think about. Is it like the defense isn't putting us in a bad position? They're just turning the ball over. 
and it's been E.B. Watson. I mean, not to not to call anybody out, but I mean, he's been a turnover machine uh, the first four games of the season. And, Absolutely. And that's that's odd because that's not a guy who really creates a lot of. Uh, he doesn't really penetrate and, and dish. He kind of just is a spot up shooter for the most part. Um, but yeah, I, like you said, I don't want to. I don't want to get too bogged down into complaining about the the lack of depth. But it it, it might be a dire situation where Weaver is the key to the rest of the season. I, 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 I say that without any any exaggeration. I mean, it's quite possible what the season could come down to as far as how successful this team is. I have a theory. That's you why you're on the cast. Spit it. I'm saying the same thing I said on the post-game podcast on Saturday. Oh, here we opinion, go with the leader. Leader. I, Need the leader. In my <laughs> No, we're, we'll get there. That's part two. Part one. <laughs> no one wants the ball out there. No yeah. one really wants the ball out there right now which is a huge change from last year. It's like hot potato out there. They can't wait to get rid of it or pass it. And to go into Sully's preview now, there is no caps on the floor right now. Yeah, no, I agree with Crutcher's that. Crutcher's not they, taking charge out there. No one is leading them on the court. And that's think, what's killing us right now. Do you think Crutcher is taking a backseat offensively? Because I agree with you for the most part. I mean, he kind of came out of his shell uh, against Mississippi State. I think he got up 18 shots. But do you think that's part of the game plan where – you know, we saw a lot of kind of Chapman kind of run running the show early on and, you know, just passing the ball around the perimeter. I think we saw a little bit more of an aggressive Crutcher last week, and hopefully that transcends into this week. But I agree I with did. you. Crutcher has got to be the guy to kind of kind of stir the drink, make things happen. Um, and we haven't seen that really except for the Mississippi State game so far this year. Can you guys explain something to me? Oh, yeah. We, uh, that's why I'm on the show. The penis know? goes in the vagina. Someone told you. <laughs> I can't put that on the radio. <laughs> um, what the fuck was I going to ask? Oh, can you guys explain to me why Crusher's are bringing the ball up the floor every time? I no. think because he's playing that down for me. He's playing 40 minutes a game. You know, it's That's kind of sad, but true. Yeah. You you kind of want to, if you're Anthony Grant, you're thinking I want the, and Evie's been playing almost 40 game, uh, minutes a game too. I think with, with, with uh Crutcher, it's more of a take a back seat, pick your spots. And uh, that didn't really work the first, really the first four, four games of the year. Like you said, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't a crutch or a vold. And obviously that's got something to do with uh, number one being gone. But I think it's, I think it's fatigue. I think it's the amount of minutes these, these guys are playing. Fair yeah. Point. But I hate to say, I, I hate to say it's fatigue so early in the year. And they're, um, they're young kids. I mean, these are elite athletes. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah. you know, that, that's one of the last things I go to. And, and I think the, the fatigue thing sets right in um, or, I give as much credence to the fatigue as I do to the COVID year. Oh, well, it's a COVID year. It's like, is everybody else playing in some different year that I was not aware of? Like, we're all playing in the COVID year. So the the one thing that I'm I'm very done with is hearing about Obi Toppin. Like, and I just am. Love Obi. Sorry. Absolutely love him. Love what he did for the program. Love who he is. All that. Let's stop talking about it. I'm done with it. Okay. And the other <laughs> thing I and the other thing I'm done hearing about is like, well, it's a COVID year, so like things are gonna be different. It's like everyone's playing in the same effing year, okay? Like we're all playing in the same circumstances. The arenas are empty for everyone except for like what teams in Florida and Georgia, and even those like don't make any effing difference whatsoever. Um, and so I'm getting kind of bugged by people that 
and, and you know, this is our fan base in a nutshell. They want to make excuses to say, well, this is working against our boys and this is working against our boys. And it's like, nothing's working against the boys. Okay. Like they're just not playing well right now. And there's reasons that they're not playing well, but like COVID and OV Toppin, like those are just not topics that I'm willing to get into right now because everybody's on the same playing field and everybody knew going into the season that we lost our three best players, you know, and that's, that's what, that's what the reality is. But the one thing that I have kept, kept saying the last month, and I'm going to keep saying it moving forward is that Jalen Crutch has got a lot of people kissing his ass over the last six months. And boy, like that is one thing that you're always going to be able to go back to when he plays poorly, because when you got a lot of people kissing your ass, it is really hard to be motivated in the same way that you were before people were kissing your ass. And, and guys, I remember when Kyle Davis came on and, and maybe you guys remember this when I did an interview with him and, and it, this is for people who think I'm being too harsh. Like, Oh, Sully, you're so mean, man. I get that all the time. So mean. They're just college kids, man. And <laughs> call Kyle well, Davis. Help, I'm doing it. This is my show. College Everybody came to listen. Athletes. All right. College student athletes, please. So I remember Kyle Davis came on the show and you guys remember that game that UD lost to Nebraska over Thanksgiving in that 2017 mm. season. It's, it was a stinker. Nebraska yeah. had no yep. business playing with UD that night and we lost. And Kyle Davis said that they went into the locker room that night after the loss. I, th- I believe the game was on Thanksgiving night. And Archie was MFing the whole team to Kingdom Come. He was like, you MFers have had everybody kissing your ass in Dayton for the last three years, and none of that means a damn thing. And I, every time that I watch Jalen Crutcher right now, I think back to that example, whether it's relevant or not. And you know what, guys? It probably isn't relevant. But, man... With he's best friends with Obi, and he's sitting next to him on the couch on draft night. Mm-hmm. He's had a lot of MFers kissing his ass. And I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of saying, you know what? I'm the best on the floor. I'm the guy. But you know what? He hasn't been the guy. He's been an average A-10 player at best so far this season. And the quicker that he realizes that, I think the quicker this team is going to be on track. And, and I'm going to hold firm on that stance until I'm proven otherwise, guys. Ooh, I got I to gotta sit down real quick. I always do the like podcast that. standing up. Um, I know. I know. I'm getting better at this. And I you're swear not to just God. Saying, yes or no. You're not just saying bye to Obi. You're saying let's just stop bringing up Mike Sell, Trey, and Obi every other sentence on the broadcast. And last well, I'm saying team. the fans need. I'm saying the fans need to turn the page, and more than yeah. anybody, Jalen Crutcher yeah. needs to turn the page because there's five times a game that he comes around a screen and goes right down the middle, and he looks up like there's somebody to lob the ball to. And brother, there ain't nobody to lob the ball to. Like Chase Johnson is not going up to the top of the backboard and slamming one through the earth. It's not going to happen. So you know, I'd like for him to stop looking for that. But moreover. I would like Jalen Crutcher to take more ownership on this team just in general. And I think that's where you kind of started KT that, that got me fired up, brother. Fired you got up. that. You see that Trey young tweeted at him <laughs> over the weekend. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, so that, and then working out with John Moran over the summer, I can see we can get a little bit of a big head from that. That's what I mean. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm not saying that I'm faulting the kid. If I was 21 years old and I was mixing it up with NBA players that I looked up to, man, I guess 
my point of view is coming from the fact that I understand it more than anything. Like if I was in his position, I'm a senior in at the university of Dayton and guys that are in the NBA are shouting me out. Hell yeah. I would have a big head, but Hey man, like it's time to not have a big head. Like let's get back to business. And that's basically what I'm saying is that far be it for me to blame a guy like Jalen Crutcher for having that big head and, and, and kind of biting into the things um, that he's hearing in his ear. But, hey, man, like, we got work to do. And moreover, guys, man, it's a big game on Saturday. It's a real big game. It is a big game. I mean, it's one – I don't know how – you know, Ole Miss is picked anywhere from 8th to ninth in the SEC. Um, a little bit – yeah, a little bit in front of Mississippi State, who's supposed to be pretty terrible. But, again, these are the games, you know, it's still – the name looks good on paper. Do you know what I mean? You can kind of fool people by beating an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State. Um, but, yeah, you just want to see – and I, I kind of got into this on the the rapid reaction last week. You know, the, this might just be what the offense is. You just don't have the, the kind of horses to kind of play that up-tempo game, get out on the break, uh, and that's fine. But I, I just don't think Dayton's going to be successful scoring 65 points a game. I, it just, I think we can all agree with that. But Sully, going back to, to one of the issues you raised, do you think with the OB Toppin thing and kind of the hangover from last year, do you think that's affected the way people have shifted their expectations? Cause I, I saw this because I, as you know, we've been doing this blog or whatever since the, the BG days and it was always kind of, <laughs> it was the dark days. And it was always this kind of thing where after they made a tournament or something, that kind of expectation level would carry over to next year, even though you might have Jimmy Benny playing 35 minutes a game. Do you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like this, and I, I feel that for a lot of people where it's kind of like, they're hoping the team is going to be some kind of not necessarily a shell of the, of the team from last year, but sort of on that level. And it's, I told everybody before the season, I, I didn't necessarily even think this was a tournament team and people kind of scoffed at that, but I was like, you're letting kind of that, that hangover from last year affect the way you're looking at it uh, this year. And I think that's one of the bigger issues we have with the fan base right now is that they're kind of looking through the lens of last year with Obi and Mike sell and Trey Landers. And those guys are gone. Um, the, the offense isn't as, as dynamic and, you know, we're, we're, they're going to struggle to beat teams that they should probably put away early with, you there's, know, there's case. no one that I'm comfortable with the ball right now. Last year, if OB, obviously if Crutcher, if Mike, you trusted those guys with the ball, you were comforted when they had the ball for the most part, mm-hmm. there's not one person right now, including Crusher who when get the, I get the ball or when, the, excuse me, when they get the ball, it's like, all right, good. We're good. But they yeah. weren't in that. They weren't in that situation. I say this a lot too. They weren't in that situation too many times last year. And remember, the two games where it did come down to the crunch time, they lost both those games. I'm not talking about the last minute heroic. Well, they, I mean, there was other games that came down to crunch time and they won. But I, I, I get your point. Well, the most, I mean, they won by an average of 17 points last year. It wasn't like you were really sweating any 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 game, Cut honestly. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And it, maybe this team is just not used to that kind of back and forth. We're going to play all 40. You know, because last year's team had that, and here we go talking about last year, but they had that ability to literally choke a team out early in the second half and put them to bed. This year's team, they might get up by 12, 13, 14, whatever, but you know that team's going to chip away, and by the end of the game, like you said, Sully, it's going to be a five-minute game. Yep. And maybe these guys just aren't prepared for that or not, not experienced enough with that. I don't know what it is, but it is a concern going forward. 
We will get to my thoughts and expectations on the season on the other side of the interview because, boys, this is what we call in the radio business a teaser. We're going to get to the uh, the interview with Nick Suss, uh, the beat writer from the Clarion Ledger who covers Ole Miss right now. And on the back half of the episode, we're going to do three things. We're going to give you the A-10 rundown on what teams are doing. We are going to give you some trivia, and I'm going to share my thoughts along with the gang on what record gets it done for the Dayton Flyers this year. That's all coming up on the back half of the interview. Right now, we're heading into that one-on-one. It's me and Nick Suss talking about the game coming up this week between UD and Old Miss. That's starting right now. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud. I'm still your host, Sully, and this is still intelligent Dayton basketball conversation for your life. Last week, we interviewed Tyler Horka from the Clarion Ledger to talk about the Mississippi State Bulldogs, and he did such a great job that I decided that I'm going to double down on Clarion Ledger talent. And so joining me today is Nick Suss, who is the beat writer at the Clarion Ledger. Uh, for uh, Mississippi basketball and football. Uh, Nick is third year on the beat. He has told me that he is from the Atlanta suburbs, so not a native Mississippian. We were not going to hold that against him because I don't think we care one way or another. But Nick's most important distinction that we're going to just start the show off tonight is that he is an AP voter, and more specifically, this last go-round on the AP voting, he was the only voter to put Iowa at number one. So, Nick, let's start right there. How is uh, how are you dealing with your new f- fandom inside the Iowa fan base? How's that going for you? It's been wild. I, I mean, I I don't judge life based off of Twitter followers, but when you notice you get <laughs> 110 or something like that Twitter followers from the Iowa area in the span <laughs> of eight hours or something, they're a passionate fan base, and I respect the heck out of them for it. But when it comes down to it, the vote felt pretty easy to me. Their offense is without question, the most exciting to watch offense in the country. They probably have the unanimous right now pick for best player in the country if you had to pick one. And, I mean, Gonzaga has played three games. Iowa's played six. It feels kind of weird to be like, the Big Ten team has played the most games, given what the football conversation is like right now. But I like the way they've played so far. Big wins over North Carolina and Iowa State. And... uh, when you have an unstoppable player, I, I, I'm going to give you credit while I can. And on Saturday, if Iowa gets blown out by Gonzaga, just delete this part. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't do that. Uh, in my show, we hold everyone accountable for their takes. Um, but you're so right, Nick. And, and I, I wanted to, to start there, obviously, to, to kind of jab a little bit. But I will say that you've earned a fan at, at 50% of my home because I am – Uh, You know, my allegiances are spoken for here in my own house. But the other 50% of my house uh, is from Iowa City and a a diehard Iowa Hawks fan, both football and basketball. So you've already won over 50% of my home here. Um, But you're right. Like as the college season is so early on, and and I'm happy to to gain your perspective on this, I, I always say... You take the best teams from what you've seen so far, and I don't. I try not to let the preseason uh, talk or the hype kind of build into that. And everybody had kind of said Gonzaga and Baylor were the two best teams coming in, and then Iowa, Illinois were probably right there behind them. Um, and, and so far, th- that's pretty much been true. However, when I look at resumes, like you said, Iowa has six wins, and they've looked damn impressive in all of them. 
right? So yeah. if you're asking me who's the team that's looked most impressive so far, I think it's 1A and 1B, but I'm going to say I was 1A and Gonzaga's 1B because for my listeners that probably like aren't very like educated on this this matter, Gonzaga over the Thanksgiving holiday beat Kansas, Auburn, and West Virginia. West Virginia is generally regarded as a top 10 team as well. So it's not like I'm throwing out their resume. I'm just saying from what I've seen, I think Iowa could have done the exact same thing with the exact same slate. And I think they've looked more impressive. Just like you said, they they have a number one offense in the country. But, you know, Gonzaga's right there at number two. Um, were there any other tough decisions on that AP ballot, Nick? It always gets tough in that 18 to 25 range when you're trying to think of who did I leave out? Who am I snubbing this week? I'm, I will not name them by names, but there is one fan base that I believe was ranked for the first time either this week or last week that uh, went on a Twitter crusade against every single beat writer uh, who did not pick them. And I will just say in the fall and winter of the year 2020, when your last name is sus, people have a lot of puns they can make about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure so, they can. So, uh, let's, uh, let's leave them out of it because I don't want another crusade, but yeah, when you're, when you're looking down and you're saying, okay, who is the better team right now between Richmond and Louisville? I have no way to compare these two teams. I don't, and that's maybe a bad example, but just like, I have no idea how to actively say one team is better than the other when they've both played three or four games. And I think Louisville had a COVID pause this week, or maybe just didn't have a game scheduled this week. And that's always tough, but I feel like the top 10, top 15 this year, you kind of know who the people are. Kentucky's Mm -hmm. disappointing, but beyond that, who I didn't even think they would be as strong as they normally are this year. But beyond that, it's a lot of Big Ten teams. It's the usual powerhouses with Kansas and Duke hanging around there. It's you're happy to see a team like Creighton hanging around. But for the most part, yeah, it's, it's the usual suspects. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, at Dayton, we're a year removed from all of this Twitter hatred because rest assured, my man, when we were rolling through uh, with our winning streak last year, Dayton Twitter was quite active on Monday mornings trying to figure out who snubbed us. But more importantly, and I'm sure you know this now, just because you can see who the other AP voters are, is that... You can pretty much tell every week who has done at least the bare minimum research to come up with a top 25 and who is just kind of like does it because they're obligated to do it because they said, hey, I'm going to be an AP voter. And last year, like where Dayton fans really jumped on people's backs and I kind of did foster this a little bit. All right, hand up to God. I was a little guilty. But if I like looked at a ballot and I could tell you did absolutely no homework you know, I think that's that's worthy of scorn for no other reason than I spend my life covering college basketball or at least my side job covering college basketball. And I spend so much time that I don't really think it's asking too much of guys that have an AP vote. And frankly, it's not something that like you have to have, like everybody opts into the AP vote, but it wasn't so much to ask to just be like, hey, do the bare minimum homework before you put out the top 25. Because while it doesn't matter, and I'm not minimizing your role, it doesn't matter all that much because we're, you know, we're looking at the NCAA tournament anyway. Like, so who the hell cares if your team's 16 or 18? It literally makes no difference, right? Right. And I'll tell you this, and maybe this is a knock against me, or maybe this is something that people should applaud about me. I don't know. But a lot of times I'll have a tiebreaker and I don't know which team I like better. And I will just look at the Ken Palm rankings and whichever team is higher, I'll put that team higher. 
Like yeah. sometimes that is the definition of the bare minimum of research, but it's better than just putting a team ahead because of its name or because this is where it was ranked last week. The poll sends out every single week a list of every game that every team in the top 25 played and says, here's their wins this week, here's their losses. It's pretty easy to be like, oh, North Carolina lost this week. I should bump them down two spots instead of moving them up three spots. That's not too hard. But again, I, I'm i not wired to be the person that just submits the same ballot 13 weeks in a row. <laughs> well, we appreciate you for it, my friend. Uh, you, I actually was saying to someone right before I jumped on uh, how I was, I was very thankful Nick did this interview on short notice. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday, December 15th to release you on the 17th. And the reason that we're recording early is that it is signing day which us in the North don't make a huge deal about. But in the South, they have always made a big deal about signing day. So, Nick, I, I want to thank you first and foremost for coming on the program on short notice, but doing a basketball episode in the thicket of signing day, which is on the horizon tomorrow. So let's start there for our listeners. You've been on the Mississippi beat for about three years now. Yeah. And you, you're from the South. So like, can you explain to people that don't understand signing day, like what it's all about, especially in a newsroom? Cause it's a little bit different, right? Yeah. And let's use the term newsroom, uh, loosely in a pandemic, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, virtual newsroom, of course, yeah, my bedroom, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, if you are an NFL draft fan, think of it like if the NFL draft was also free agency and was also Black Friday shopping. <laughs> it, That's a good way of putting it, yeah. It is an amazing day where thousands upon thousands of high school football players are all future Heisman Trophy winners. It doesn't matter if you are a three-star defensive end from rural Alabama, you're the next Reggie White. It doesn't <laughs> matter if you're a quarterback who threw for like 12 touchdowns his senior year, holy crap, that's Peyton Manning. There's yeah. so much optimism. And if you're a fan base where your team hasn't been so great the last three or four years, you get to look at these 17 and 18 year old kids. And in some instances, 20, 21 year old Juco kids and think ah, we're looking pretty good next year. Uh, this kid, this kid's going to completely turn the program around. And you also get to kind of discern the identity of what your coaches want. And like, for example, even if you guys are basketball fans first where you're from, you know who Lane Kiffin is. And I get to cover Lane Kiffin professionally. And I get to see, it's a weird coincidence that every single offensive lineman he signed in the last two years has been six foot six or taller. Maybe that's not a coincidence. Maybe he just likes really long boys. And then yeah. it's not a coincidence that his defensive tackles are all 305 pounds. Like you get to see these types and be like, man, those are hulking behemoths of human beings and <laughs> yeah. they are 17 Maybe <laughs> they will be the next reggie white who knows and they won't be because there's only been one ever but when it comes down to it that's that's the fascinating part is signing day is eternal hope for programs that haven't been relevant in however long you want to say they've been relevant yeah, yeah. Um, let's double down on something Tyler said last week. Um, if if you hadn't heard the show last week and when I did the Mississippi State preview with Tyler Hork, I asked him um, a question that was kind of on my mind. And, and the same question does apply to, to Ole Miss in the way that it applies to the Bulldogs from last week. But what I said was, it seems to me that it, Mississippi State and maybe it, it Ole Miss as well, 
that football is always going to be king in Mississippi, and I don't think anyone will tell you otherwise, but it seems to me that the fans of both schools support the basketball team equally when they see success. Can you confirm or deny that statement? I Equally to what? Well, so I, I just said like equally as far as like the perception of supporting the team. Like if Ole Miss basketball is winning and they're in the tournament, people are behind them, you know? Yeah. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, you're right about that. And I think if you go back through the Marshall Henderson era, which a lot of people probably remember, there was a lot of support for Ole Miss basketball because they were a very prominent team that had a very hot button player that a lot of people like to talk about. And yeah, I think that two years ago when Ole Miss went to the tournament, they were a very popular team that a lot of people in this city and the state cared about. But even in the best years, you go back to two years ago when this team was, I think, a nine seed in the tournament and they were a 20 win SEC team. And that was a really good basketball team in Kermit Davis's first year and everybody was energized. Even during that, it's the third most popular sport on campus. Fourth, if you count recruiting as its own sport. Because <laughs> football, football recruiting and baseball are always going to be bigger in Mississippi. I, I mean, and the same is true at Mississippi State, which if you've ever seen their baseball stadium is the cathedral of college baseball. It's the biggest stadium and they sell it out every week. And Ole Miss has been top three in the country in baseball attendance for 20 something odd years straight. Basketball is a very popular sport. And I think it's a product of being in a state where there are no pro sports, which unfortunately and fortunately you guys in Ohio don't have to relate to. These are the pro sports teams here. There is no Jackson, Mississippi or Oxford, Mississippi or Starkville or Biloxi or Hattiesburg, whatever city you want to pick. They don't have their own team to call their own professionally. So people have pro baseball from the form of these two SEC college teams and pro basketball from the form of these two SEC college teams. So you're going to get that support because the alternative is not supporting anything. That's so true, and I wish you would have seen my face when you said third, because not only was I in disbelief, but I couldn't even think of what the second sport would be. Like, and 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 once you said that, I said, "Oh yeah, that's right. Mississippi State has this really thick, deep baseball tradition," and the same goes for Ole Miss. And I I bring that up just to say that it completely escapes me being such a northern soul how into baseball the schools in the South are because I basically get into college baseball for like the weekend that it's on in the college world series. And I think most people, especially if you're from a a pro town or like for me, I'm from Pittsburgh. So we've always had a major league team. I guess it's arguable whether they've been a major (laughs) league team quality or not in name. They've been a major league team. Um, But again, all my friends that are pretty much everybody I know, you're from Chicago, you're from St. Louis, you're from Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Detroit, they all have, you know, major league teams. And so it didn't even occur to me that that would be the second most popular sport on campus. But I think you've you've gotten to my point, Nick, and you've kind of made my point for me, um, is that basketball has is, is never been paramount in, in Mississippi and, and never will be because of the aforementioned uh, aspects and sports that we just brought up. But to that same point, I do always have a certain amount of respect for the teams in Mississippi because they have that kind of support. And like you said, a lot of it comes from the fact that there is no pro team. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's, go, let's go one question deeper on that, Nick. Since you are in the third year covering this beat, uh, 
Was there anything about Old Miss or the fans or the culture that you didn't know going in that is kind of sticking in your mind now that that you kind of have realized that you've worked on the beat for a few years? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know if I've ever taken the distance to think about that. Uh, I've I've been around the SEC my entire professional career. I went to school at Georgia. I covered Georgia. I covered LSU after that. I covered Ole Miss following that. I've been in both uh, sides of the SEC, and I've always been familiar with Ole Miss because of that, especially when I was at LSU because of the rivalry there. But I think when you're in the thick of it, you kind of recognize the, I hate to use this word, but it's true, kind of the fatalism of being an Ole Miss fan. Yeah, of the just pure sardonic despair of nothing good will ever last. <laughs> yeah. Something good is happening. Oh, the NCAA is going to take it away or, oh, we're going to do something to uh, fumble it away or, oh, there's going to be a reason that this can't be sustained. And it makes it fun. I don't, it's not like a bunch of Eeyores. These people are extremely self-aware of the despair they're feeling when your rivals to the East and West are LSU and Alabama, and you're stuck in the middle competing with Mississippi state just to, to win your state. It's a, it's a difficult situation, but it's a, it's a very joyful situation to, to be around people who take this seriously. This is life or death in a lot of ways, but there's no (laughs) expectation on life being the thing that wins out. Well, there's certainly uh, a fatalism in being a Dayton Flyers fan. So honestly, Nick, uh, Dayton fans can commiserate with um, with that mindset, honest to God. And and last season, um, you know, kind of was a perfect example of what we're talking about. Uh, in true uh, me fashion, we're 17 minutes into the interview. We've talked very little to none about the UD Old Miss game coming up. And I think that's what makes me such a great radio host because you've been entertained fair listener in these first 17 minutes and I haven't even gotten to the game yet imagine what I can cook up when we actually start talking about the game at hand so let's do that Nick we uh are are, as I'm sitting here today this will be uh the sixth meeting if I'm not mistaken between the two teams in the last uh 10 or 11 years I think they started the series in 2011 2010 11 season so okay uh, they played Ole Miss in the uh, NIT in uh, in March 2010. Since then, we've had two successful home and homes. Uh, I say successful on our end because Dayton has yet to to lose to Ole Miss. Their first game uh, was a one off in 1980. Since then, like I said, with the NIT and the two home and home series, UD is taking a sterling six and zero record into the series. Uh, and I am told that this is a home and home series that UD will return next year, like they have in years past. But Let's get under the hood, Nick. Uh, yeah. Mississippi State this year, they, uh, sorry, Mississippi, Old Miss. I have to start saying Old Miss to not trip myself up. Uh, Old Miss, at the time of this recording, has three games under their belt. By the time it hits your ears, they will have four with Middle Tennessee State on Wednesday night, December 16th. Uh, let's start here. What stood out to you about this team so far when they've got, frankly, let's be honest, three cupcake games to get themselves revved up for this weekend's contest? Yeah, and for people who don't know the backstory real quick, they were supposed to have played Memphis by now, but that game was canceled because of a COVID outbreak at Ole Miss, and they had to cancel their first four games of the season. They have made up two of those, but the Memphis game didn't get rescheduled. So that would have been the test that people saw before this Dayton game. But the thing that stood out, uh, if you look at these first three games, 
I believe the number is 27.5% is what opponents are shooting in the first half. This team comes out in the first half and just puts the clamps on these cupcakes. Mm-hmm. And there was a point in the opener against Jackson State where Jackson State went more than 10 minutes without scoring. There was a point on Monday against, gosh, I can't even remember who they played, and it was yesterday. Central Arkansas. Oh, Central yeah. Arkansas. It's my job. Where Central Arkansas went seven and a half minutes without scoring a point. It was, this defense comes out hot and they are strong. And with these undersized teams they've been playing, they have just been absolutely dominating the paint, absolutely dominating defensively. By that same token, the thing that sticks out is they haven't been able to shoot yet. Devontae Shuler, the senior guard, is shooting out of his mind. This is one of the best three or four game stretches he's played in his college career. And this is a guy who's played a lot of good college basketball. But beyond him, they have one guard, Luis Rodriguez, who is an absolutely dominant defensive rebounding guard, but not really the ace shooter. And then the other guys who they expect to shoot, this freshman Matthew Morell, who was a top 40 prospect last year, a transfer Jarkel Joyner, who was a uh, leading scorer at UC Santa Barbara before he uh, transferred over to Ole Miss. You have these guys who are supposed to be picking up the slack where in years past guys like Terrence Davis and Brian Tyree were all SEC scorers. Now this team is struggling to find an offensive identity, despite the fact it has, again, three cupcake games, take it for granted maybe the most lockdown defense we've seen in the SEC so far. Yeah, and and the thing that jumped out to me, obviously beyond the defense, was that this team has a nice mix of of youth and experience. Yeah. Um where they start two seniors in the in the starting lineup. They got two juniors behind them and then a sophomore. And then the rest of the supporting cast is some sophomores, some seniors, so you know they got some freshmen that have gotten minutes. Um, and to me I always say this is is that that's how the sauce is made when you're a uh, a middle of the road power five because middle of the road power fives tend to be a lot like Dayton. And what I mean by that is that their makeup tends to be the same in that they usually have to go through a season or two of learning and sucking before they figure out how to win. Um, and the the combination tends to be successful when you get guys that are leaders and then you get the right pieces that are underclassmen. It seems like Ole Miss kind of has that. They started the year Ken Palm 46, and now they're at 41 at 3-0 and heading into that game. Like I said, Middle Tennessee State, that'll be over by the time listeners hear this. But what's the expectation for this team? Because it looks to me like the expectation should be tournament or bust, right? Yes, but one thing that needs to be noted that either you know and were setting me up for or you missed, a um, lot of experience on this team, not a lot of experience together. Mm-hmm. So the center, Romello White, graduate transfer. One of the backup guards, Demencio Vaughn, graduate transfer. Your sixth man forward, Robert Allen, transfer from Sanford, wasn't on the team last year. Uh, one of your, uh, Jarkel Joyner, the transfer I mentioned, he sat out last year because of transfer rules. Your top freshman, of course, is a freshman. Your second best freshman is a redshirt freshman who didn't play last year. And Luis Rodriguez, the junior who I mentioned, who's been the lockdown defensive guard, missed all but five games last year because of a foot injury. So you're returning effectively four starters if you count Rodriguez because Devontae Shuler started last year, KJ Buffin started last year, Hadim C started last year, and then Rodriguez if if you count him. But of those guys who are returning, really only Shuler and Buffin are guys who 
are starting now and started all of last year. Instead, you have Romello White, who was the second best rebounder in the Pac-12 last year. He averaged eight and eight, I think 8.8 rebounds per game at Arizona State last year. You have Demencio Vaughn, who was a top five rebounder and scorer in, I think, the CAA last year. And then you have Robert Allen, who was a top five rebounder and block artist in the wherever Stanford plays. I can't remember if that's the Southern Conference or the Southland. But you have guys who were really productive at the mid-major level, and in Romello White's case, Power 5 level. But these guys are still learning how to play together. So the expectation from talent and experience should be tournament or bust. But there's still a bit of time to learn how to play together and be more cohesive. And obviously the COVID year and then a two-week COVID pause didn't help that. You see, listeners, I did set Nick up. He knew it, but he answered the question honestly anyways, and that's that's why I get these guests for you. I get honest guests so we can have honest conversations. Yeah, Nick, I did set you up, uh, truth be told, because that's exactly where Dayton finds himself this year as well. And, and I wanted you to kind of outline it for people so that, you know, my listeners, they take my word for it more often than not, but it means more coming from you, you see. Um, and, and we're the exact same way. Um, Dayton's got three seniors that are they're supposed to be leading the charge at guard um and, and they're a roster that has experience but no experience playing together and i said that i thought the difference against mississippi state was that the bulldogs are they're inexperienced it's playing together and they're inexperienced just playing in general they're, they're all youth right yeah dayton is experienced players inexperienced playing together and and i i kind of had a feeling the old miss was about the same thing so I love these seasons, though, when we, we meet, because um, we've said a million times during scheduling in the offseason that this is exactly what Dayton wants. They want a middle power five team that is uh, in a tournament year or so they think, and they need to go out and get a resume building win because they're going to take some lumps in the SEC. You, know, you absolutely know that. Um and, and so I always try to highlight, like, this is what Dayton is looking for. And thank God that we got this game played or, you know, fingers crossed at the time of this recording, it's supposed to be played. Uh, but this is, it feels like a very good fit on paper because both teams very much need this win to kind of legitimize themselves before we head into an early conference season. But, I mean, what do you think is going to be the deciding factor on this game on Saturday with all that said? Because as I look down the report card, and I kind of wanted to flesh this out for listeners real quick, you mentioned that their first half defense is strong. And while they played inferior opponents, you don't get to have the 14th best defense in the country by being slouches. Moreover, they're turning opponents over 31% of their possessions yeah. and they're forcing or forcing, but their opponents are committing unforced errors in one in five possessions. Now, if you flip that on Dayton, there are only three teams in the country that are committing more unforced errors than Dayton. And there's only about 10 that are turning the ball over more. So, I see the ground flipping on whoever wins the turn turnover battle is going to win the game. What do you see as the most important factor with all that said? I think that's a good way of putting it. I think that turnovers, unforced errors, that usually when there's a game of strength on strength and weakness on weakness, I gravitate towards the weakness on weakness because that's much more fun. But mm-hmm. this is a strength on strength that I, I'm very fascinated by of this Ole Miss defense, can it force those turnovers? Can it lock it down versus that very experienced Dayton offense? The other thing I'll add is I've mentioned that Ole Miss is getting a ton of production from its front court right now, which is kind of abnormal for Ole Miss, especially in these first two years of Kermit Davis's era. 
Uh, this will be the first test against a team that I'm not going to say Dayton is as good as it was in the front court last year, of course, but it's still a good front court team. And how do these guys like Romello White, like Robert Allen, like if, if Hadim C is back, he, he was absent from Monday's game because of what was described as not a shoulder injury. So that rule, that narrows it down. Um, whatever, whatever it ends up being in the front court, I think that's going to be, can Ole Miss keep it up? Can Ole Miss keep doing this even against teams that have comparable size and experience and strength down low? Or does this come down to Ole Miss has just been beaten up on some smaller fish? Finishing up with Nick Suss, who is the beat writer for Ole Miss down at the Clarion Ledger. You might have remembered that I had mentioned the Clarion Ledger last week when we spoke to Tyler Horka, who covered Mississippi State. And it's nice that Dayton did this, where I don't really have to go that far outside of your newsroom to, to get quality guests. So I, I, you know, I want to applaud Dayton and the Mississippi schools for making my life easy, because we all know that that's what this is all about, is how can you make my life easy on this show? I other thing that stood out to me um, as we're kind of finishing up here, I got a couple more questions before we let you go. But uh, I noticed that uh, Ole Miss right now is pulling down an offensive rebound in about 35% of their possessions. And, and you mentioned that the, the front court's kind of still a work in progress. Um, do you attribute the rebounding success to their inferior foes or do they have a commitment to the glass uh, because Dayton really has not had a commitment to the glass, and it's really been their second downfall behind turnovers this year. Short answer, long answer. Uh, short answer, you don't get offensive rebounds if you make your shots. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's long, right. Long answer, they they really recommitted to rebounding this year because they were a pretty dreadful rebounding team last year. I think they were 12th or 13th in the SEC in both rebounding and offensive rebounding. They were They were pretty bad. At it, and that's why they went out and got guys like Romello White and uh, Robert Allen in the transfer market, and bringing in Luis Rodriguez, who I think in his last two games has something like 14, uh, 25, 26 rebounds as a guard. Uh, bringing in the, those guys and getting Luis Rodriguez healthy from last year's injury has absolutely helped. But it's a recommitment to it. It is last year the guy who started at the three. Um, only shot three pointers. Didn't really try to rebound. Last had those year, guys too. <laughs> last year the offense, and he was like a six foot nine forward. He just stretched three, stretched four. He only played the perimeter, and yeah. then you had an offense that was more built around Bree and Tyree shooting 23, 24 times a game. So now that it is much more of a spread out, more of an open team, there's more of a commitment to rebounding, and also defensively. If we're talking about the defensive rebounding, last year they played a lot more of Kermit Davis's one, three, one than they have so far this year. They've kind of gone away from that because the personnel is different this year and they are a little more size focused than they are wing focused. So when you play less one, three, one, obviously what happens is you're going to have more rebounding opportunities because you're going to have more people around the rim when you're playing true man or when you're playing two, three, but it also just comes down to the personnel's better at rebounding than it was last year. Yeah, and we're obviously kind of struggling with that, so it's it's going to kind of loom large uh, for the game coming up on Saturday. Uh, last two questions for you, Nick, before we let you go. I noticed in your article, the write-up you did for Central Arkansas, the Monday game, uh, that you had said that it looked like they had some tired legs. Um, and for my listeners' sake, Ole Miss didn't start their season until December 10th. 
So by the time that we get to Saturday, December 19th, they will have had four games over the previous nine days. And coming up here against Middle Tennessee State will be their fourth game in seven days, um, seven actual days, six days, I guess you want to get technical. But, um, you know, Nick, you, you obviously wrote about it, so you do feel this way. But, you know, have, has it kind of been very tangible to see that the, the team is kind of slowing down a little bit because they had to come out of the gate so hot and play so many games right off the bat? I think that's part of it. I think that some of it might be, I, I don't know, like when you talk about teams that aren't making shots, you put it in two categories, teams that are missing bad shots and teams that are missing good shots. And I would think for the most part, Ole Miss is missing good shots. And that mm-hmm. that comes down to things like fatigue and things like confidence and less to things like scheme and talent and awareness. So when I look at a team that's taking good shots and they're just not falling, I do think that there's probably something there of, oh, this is a team that comes out with so much energy in the first half. They start so strong and then they kind of coast through games. And when you're seeing that coasting, that kind of does lead at a certain point to thinking, oh, there might be a little fatigue. But I think that if this is your first true major non-conference test, and we're assuming they take care of business against Middle Tennessee State, which is going to be a really emotional game for Kermit Davis. He coached in that arena for, I think, 17 years. Maybe I'm wrong on the exact number, but... That's why they got an away game, right? (laughs) Usually you wouldn't be going to Middle Tennessee State, but he threw him a bone on that one. So it's going to be an emotional one. And Devontae Shuler, who again is the starting point guard for your starter for this team, his younger brother plays at Middle Tennessee State. There's going to be a lot of emotion in that game. And by the time you guys are listening to this, flip the tense, there was a lot of emotion in that game. (laughs) But yeah, I, I think that it's not going to be hard to get amped to get emotional for a game against a team that just nine, 10 months ago was a potential number one seed in the NCAA tournament. For sure. Finishing up with, uh, with Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger to talk Ole Miss hoops. And, uh, and thank you, man, again, on a, a busy football week. Um, when, you know, when I, I reached out to you, I, I looked, I was like, okay, everybody down there covers basketball and football. I said, so I got to check the football schedule to see if they're done. Cause I, I just have not really kept up with college football. Like I normally would in a given year. Um, it's because I root for Penn State and, and they're garbage, but neither here nor there. My listeners don't care. You don't care. Um, but but when I saw there was a game this week, I was like, ah, that's going to be something I have to work around. So I do thank you for for coming on and uh, and sharing your insights on the team. But we would not let you go tonight uh, on talking out loud without giving us a prediction. So how do you think the game is going to play out on Saturday? I will give you my form prediction, which is when the clock strikes double zero one team will likely have more te- points than the other team. <laughs> you shy away from predictions? You're one of those, huh? That team will be called the winner. If neither team has more points, they will keep playing basketball. I I don't like making predictions because if you guys just want to Google this and have some fun, Google SEC beat writer experts against the spread. This year we have made every single SEC beat writer who works for the USA Today network of newspapers. I think there are 13 of us pick mm-hmm. every single SEC football game against the spread. And last week I went five and one in six games to move within one game of last place. <laughs> 
So uh, you're, you're no Howie Schwab is what you're telling me right now. I have sat next to him at a basketball game before, but that is the closest <laughs> relation that Howie Schwab and I have. Clearly, he couldn't give you any airborne illnesses to maybe, uh, you know, give you some some gambling prowess or, or anything. So, you know what? It happens, Nick. I'm sorry, man. It, it's, it's not really something that we're all cut out for. So at least you know that that's not your bag. And I get it, man. I get it. A friend of mine asked me for gambling advice on, on Saturday or Sunday before the NFL slate. And my exact response was, take whatever money you're going to spend on this and buy a gift for your mother. Christmas is coming up. But what if you won and you double down, then you have more money to spend on your mother's gift. Maybe I'm you and I have friends. mothers. I don't know if mine would be like, yes, buy something for me with your dirty gambling money. <laughs> well, I wouldn't tell my mother that it was dirty gambling mother. I would just buy, I would just buy a nice gift and then it's like, "Hey, look at this great gift." Where where I got the funds for said gift? That's neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. You're a better liar than I am, man. <laughs> well, that's I, I like to think I'm entertaining and that's why I have the show. Uh, that's Nick Suss again from the Clarion Ledger joining us to talk old miss hoops. Nick, thanks again for coming on the program, man. It was a joy. Happy to do it, Sully. All right, man. Welcome back from the one-on-one with Nick Suss. I hope you uh, enjoy the interview, hearing about signing day in Mississippi, covering signing day, uh, and then finally talking about hoops and Old Miss and, and all that good stuff. Uh, funny enough, guys, um, before we, we get to trivia sponsored by Lee's Chicken, I went down a rabbit hole while I was on that interview with Nick Suss, and um, it's a good rabbit hole, okay? Here we go. So we were uh, talking about uh, their coach, Kermit Davis. And you might remember that their coach, Kermit Davis, uh, was at Middle Tennessee State, and he led a couple of teams at Middle Tennessee State that pulled some upsets in the NCAA tournament, hence why he has the job now at Ole Miss. So while I was on with Nick Suss, I was doing my little rabbit hole down the stats. I'm like looking at Ken Palm and blah, blah, blah. And I took a look at um, Middle Tennessee State from those years that they were successful under Kermit Davis. And what I found, if you guys remember in 2015, when UD, or I guess this would have been the 2016 tournament, when UD went to St. Louis and they lost first round to Syracuse. The game after that, uh, I left the arena because I was absolutely just infuriated with the Flyers getting blown out in the second half to Syracuse. You guys remember those really ugly second half. Oh, yeah. So I stormed out. The second game in that session that day in St. Louis was Middle Tennessee State number 15 seed against Michigan State. And you guys remember that game because mm-hmm. Middle Tennessee sure State do. pulled the upset and they hit like they hit like a million threes out of the gate um, to, to jump on them. OK, so the rabbit hole was I took a look at that, that Middle Tennessee State team and one of my favorite guys I've ever like rooted for is Giddy Potts. Okay, and I even saw him after the game at the Hooters in St. Louis. That's how you know he's good people, right? So Giddy Potts, <laughs> he was a big boy, right? What? No, he was a starting guard. He okay. was a sophomore starting guard for this 2016 Middle Tennessee Tennessee State team. And don't worry, listeners, I got somewhere to go with this. He led the entire nation that year in three point shooting. He shot fifty percent over the entire season from three point range. He was 76 for 151 from three. That is absolutely absurd. That's Kyle crazy. Korver didn't even shoot that well his senior year in the NCAAs. 
Good God. That's 50%. nuts. 50%. That blew me away, guys. It really That's nuts. did. Hey, know. quick quick one, Sully. Do you know who the current grad assistant is for Ole Miss? I do not. Who is it? It's Marshall Henderson. <laughs> yes. The, the Marshall Henderson? Yes. yes. So we're going to see him on Saturday. Oh, so who knows? Yes. He, he might be he might be the only grad suspended uh, grad assistant who gets suspended for a game. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How do like? Here's the thing. I have the post game show coming up at Tim's uh, after the game this week. How do I get him on the post game show? Like that's the question. You right. got to just hit him up all over the place. He's got to be Twitter, able to take on Twitter. I guarantee it. What yeah. I got to do is like crack a beer or like open a liquor bottle like in the arena, and I'd have to assume like the echo of that would would get him. He seems like a drinker to me, you know. Yeah, maybe a bump or two in your seat. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's that's what it is. I don't, I don't know. Um, I I mentioned on the other side of the interview that we were going to be talking about kind of the expectations, and but me here's where me and Blackburn have disagreed from the jump is that you said that this is not a tournament team. And I've said that the talent is all there for a tournament team. Day one, I've said that this is a tournament team. So with all that in mind, I haven't seen anything so far to change my mind. I think that there are enough opportunities for UD uh, to to build that tournament resume. But the, the question I'm posing to you guys was the same one I put on Twitter today. 23 game schedule, assuming that nothing else gets put on the schedule, boys. What record gets UD in the tournament? And you can talk about winning Saturday and losing Saturday. KT, I want to start with you. 23 games. We're now 3-1 and one heading into Saturday's game. What record gets UD in? 23 games. Would 18 do it? That It's, that it's your opinion, sir. <laughs> okay, I have my own opinions. You tell me. I would say in a goofy year like this, I'm going to go 18, 19 wins. Get you in. Don't know how or why. 5, 19, and 4. Blackburn, what do you say? I, I agree with I agree with KT. I think 19 and 4 would do it. But like there's a lot of like moving parts here because it would depend heavily on who you're getting the W's over in the A10, right? Like Correct. If, if you're beating UMass and and Fordham and LaSalle, you know, that's great. But that's not gonna that's not gonna put anything on the resume uh as far as being a tournament team. It's gotta be over SLU uh and Richmond, teams like that. Um I mean, everything is the reason I don't think necessarily this team is a tournament team because everything has got to break right for them, I think. Yep. Um, And they're not going to get enough. There's not enough shine on the out of conference resume this year, obviously. And like you saw, I think they probably do lose to Mississippi State or Mississippi just because their defense is insane. Um, So, yeah, they would have to be dominant in the A-10. And like I said, get wins over the the top of the league. So, yeah, I I would say 19 and 19 or four might do it. Because I got them at three and two, I guess after Ole Miss. Will they even sure. have the NIT this year? No, no way. I, I don't think so. There's no know. way. I don't think so. Yeah, no way. I don't think so. But I, I mean, okay. So I asked this question to everybody on Twitter, and I have a reason for everything I do, as as most things on this show. I have a reason. Okay. The reason I asked the question is because we always get on on the site, um, and I had a long article on, on BlackburnReview.com that I released on Wednesday talking about this exact subject, but I outlined the eight games that are like the big games moving forward, and, and rest assured, there's only eight of them, okay? Uh, <laughs> UD, after this game, will have 18 games left, 10 of them, you absolutely have to win, no questions asked, and then the other three are kind of up in the air, or the other eight, rather, and those eight games that I listed off are VCU twice, St. Louis twice, that's four, right? Then you got Richmond, you got Rhode Island twice, and then you go at Bonaventure. Those are the games that UD needs to go like six and two in, 
Okay. And, and that'll really decide the season. So I thought about like, if UD loses on Saturday, you get you to three and two, if they win, you're a four and one. And any way that I sliced it, it seemed like 18 and five is going to be the minimum for UD to get in. And I, I set this expectation up today and I asked people online because we get it every year where people are bitching at us like, oh, the Flyers are better than you think. They can get in. Well, okay, we're going to set the mark right now. And if, you know, six weeks from now or a month from now, it doesn't look like UD can get to 18 wins. Well, I got bad news for you. This team's going to go home or they're going to go to the NIT or whatever the hell is going to happen at the end of the season. But UD needs to win 18 games. And um, minimum, man, you you're, know, saying. you're saying minimum, minimum. Okay. to get in. And, and, you know, 17 and six, that maybe leaves you with some work to do in Brooklyn. You get to 16 and seven, you know, it's bleak. Because then you just haven't got enough meat on your resume. Because like I said in the article, now that you don't get 12 chances in the non-con, our chances are up on Saturday. This is it. This is the last chance. And if UD doesn't have this chance, like the rest of the conference, there's only going to be like two or three big games the rest of the year. And that's kind of where I laid my hay was 18 and five is going to be the mark. But there's so many things to consider. Like you said, like you got to how many teams with the A-10 get in the, in the dance, first of all? You know what I mean? Four max. You think four? four? You think four? Okay. No, See, I, I think max. I think this is going to be a very lean year for mid-majors in a tournament just because, like you said, they don't have those out-of-conference games they can kind of legitimize themselves with kind of bloated records. Do you know what I mean? No, the Big Ten plays a big game every night. Like, right, I said this the- I said this in the article, okay? Iowa and North Carolina are two teams I looked at moving forward, both top 25 teams, right? Yeah. Iowa has one game outside of like what is considered a tier A or tier B game, you know, like good game or great game, right? They have one game outside of that tier. Uh, North Carolina does. Iowa, same way, one. UD yeah. has seven. Yeah. So there you go. It's like the, the, the reality. The, the, the margin for error in a COVID year, Sully, uh, is so <laughs> slim this year that like I just see this team blowing a game or two. Uh, against a, a team they probably shouldn't have. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I just see that kind of forthcoming. And that's why I think this isn't necessarily a tournament team at this state. Like it just, they'd have to go on such a run and be so consistent. I, I just don't think that's, they have that capability this year. That's all. And like, you, you know, I think it's going to be a very heavy power five uh, tournament just because like, like you said, all the big games are, it's kind of an incestual schedule this year where all the big guys are playing each other and the little guys, no one's really paying attention to them. So, what do you do? There's not going to be a coastal Carolina uh, in football this year. You know, there's not going to be the Dayton this year. There's not going to be UD in the top ten this year. It's just not going to happen. So I mean, that's that's it's a huge hurdle to overcome. And like you said, Dayton's going to have to real eighteen and five might do it depending on if they beat you know Richmond twice or whatever. But yeah, I, it's just such a small. It's a rager thin margin this year, and yeah. it's problematic. I agree, sir. I agree. Like, I agree. The uh, I, I was uh, I was going to end tonight and uh, and do the A10 rundown. Cast is getting long, so here's what you need to know about the A10 right now. UMass is in first place, guys. Um, Trey Mitchell, baby. The uh, we recorded this this podcast on uh, Wednesday, December sixteenth, which was the start. Technically, you know, well, t- technically and actually, the start of the A10 season. Uh, this afternoon, UMass took down LaSalle uh, to improve to one and zero in the conference. Um, but the other thing that I've highlighted to people is that there is only four teams in the conference right now that have played more than five games. 
Um, in a normal year, we'd be at like 10, 9 or has 10. Has Fordham played yet? Uh, Fordham has yet to play. They are the only team in the conference that has yet to play. And <laughs> frankly, it, you know, it, it could just stay that way. Like, has yeah. anyone noticed? No? Like, for, I like the idea of Fordham going to the conference uh, schedule with not even a game under their belt. That'll, that'll and work they're not going to. They're not, yeah. They canceled. So Fordham today announced that they had canceled their, their next game with Stony Brook, which was their only non-con game. So Jesus. Fordham's schedule this year will quite quite literally be 18 A10 games. They should just hit the entire team should hit the portal right now. All right, boys, over under uh three Fordham wins. Under. <laughs> for sure. KT, you're gonna go under. We gotta have something funny to root for this year. I'm going over. <laughs> oh <laughs> four wins in conference. Why That's is this why is this asshole yelling? We're not gonna be in the bar, never mind. Why is this guy <laughs> yelling across the living room at the TV at Fordham? Don't worry about it. <laughs> I do want. Uh, I do want to have another. Remember last year the St. Joe's Fordham Classic. Yes, yes. I want that oh, again I this know. year. Yeah, I know. And if you don't know what Blackburn's talking about, uh, they both went into the game late season winless last year, and uh, it set it up for uh, the game of the week of the century in the A10. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's what it was. Um, like I said, you don't need to know a ton about the A10 conference right now. My A10 rundown. Normally Drew would do it. He's not here tonight. But but here's what I said, guys. I don't think anything's really changed from when the season started. Richmond and Slew are the teams to beat in the conference. Then you got VCU that's right behind them. Dayton still has things to prove. Rhode Island has lost enough games now that they're good and out of it. Davidson's the same way. Rhode Island's three and four. Davidson's three and three. Bonaventure's only played one game. Duquesne's one and one. After you get past those three teams at the or two teams at the top, St. Louis, Richmond, I think you're basically looking at VCU could get in. Dayton has the potential to get in and everybody else is climbing up a mountain that's too tall. And I really do feel that way. Like Blackburn said, when you have, when you're going up against the big East, big 10, we have big games every night. I just don't know how the a 10 is going to cut through that muck. Um, so keep your eyes on it as we move forward on the show and get you out of here tonight in a timely manner. We're going to go to trivia, hit the music. Boys, I always try to find trivia that is relevant to the game that's coming up, and tonight was no different. And so I started looking back through the Mississippi program history in basketball, and I took a sample set over the last 30 years. And my question to you tonight in trivia, boys, how many times in 30 seasons, the last 30 seasons more specifically, has Ole Miss made the NCAA tournament? Blackburn, I'm going to start with you, and then we'll go to KT. How many times has Old Miss made the tournament in the last 30 years? Go. I will say, hmm, I'll say five. Okay, KT? I'm going to go with 11. My next question to you guys, 3 and 11. How many tournaments has Dayton made in the last 30 years? Eight. Okay. Nine, I'll say nine, nine, nine. KT? seven we cannot count 2020 in fairness they did not make the tournament in 2020 so oh, the answer well, you gotta go back so <laughs> oh you were counting that okay yeah so, well, I said, no i, said, I don't want to just wait, we ain't thinking about that okay all right yeah that's right sure so blackburn would have been dead on had he been counting that uh, because the answer to both questions is eight old miss and oh. dayton have made the tournament the exact same amount of times in the last 30 years eight and eight I thought that was quite an interesting trivia question, was it not? So that's a hell of a trivia question. That was well done. Right? Yeah, but you know what? Delivery, know. great. That was great. The, the bad part is Ole Miss's last 30 years are all 
encapsulated by that clip of Bryce Drew beating him in the NCAA tournament. That's all people remember <laughs> yeah. about him. <laughs> That's it. That shot. No, you know what? what about Marshall like, giving the finger to the crowd. I was going to say, you were right until Marshall Henderson came along, and then he made Old Miss basketball relevant for, like, what, three years, probably? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, probably. They yeah. were great. They were must-see TV, like, every night. Remember, he was, yeah, like, I flipping off the Clemson student section, and, oh, Classic. man, that guy, was, Classic. that guy was great. All right, boys, we ran long tonight. I promised a half-hour cast, and, and we went way, just just bull rush through that um we'll go to final thoughts for the evening heading in to ud's 2 30 p.m tip off with old miss this week um i don't even know what channel it's on right now i'm a bad podcast so let's get the final thoughts blackburn final thoughts for the evening final thoughts is that you know uh three and one is kind of i feel like where everyone thought we would be right now um a big win against old miss uh the offense is gonna have to step up because I watched Ole Miss tonight, and their their defense was great last year, and it looks like it's just as good this year. So uh, Jalen Crutcher's got to step up. I agree. KT, final thoughts? This is a measuring stick. You can't really say any of the last four teams we just played. Maybe Mississippi State. You know, if you can't beat them, you can't beat anyone in the A-10. Uh, that's for sure true about Ole Miss. So this is a huge measuring stick. Let's see what they got. Let's see what they come out with. Let's see what it shows us about how they're seeing the rest of the season. Um, but if we can't compete with this team, we're not competing with the top of the A-10. So measuring stick. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly my uh, my thoughts as well, KT, is that this game is going to tell you uh, – it's going to tell you about Dayton. It's going to tell you about Mississippi. I mean, we're not concerned about Ole Miss, but they need this game j- just as bad. I mean, the SEC, you kind of have to pick and choose your opportunities through the course of the season. They'll have more of them than Dayton will. Um, but Mississippi, you know, they haven't played anybody yet. They played Jackson State, Wilmington, Central Arkansas, and just wrapped up as of about five minutes ago at the time of this recording, beating Middle Tennessee. So Ole Miss has yet to play anybody, and and Dayton needs a resume-building win. So um, it's force meet and force on Saturday, and like I said, the tip-off is going to be at 2.30 Eastern at UD Arena. And even better news, fellas, I'm going to be coming to them live with the post-game. From yeah, Timothy's Bar and Grill. Yeah, yeah I know. Nice. I know. I know. So we did the pregame show the first two weeks. This next week, we're going to be doing the postgame. It is going to be, I believe, from 5 to 6.30 or like whenever the game wraps oh, up. So uh, come down and see us. I think I'm going to be watching the game at Tim's as well. Um, you You're know, tanked someone, someone come please yeah. give Sully a place to stay. You can't keep doing this tent behind Tim's. Well, well that's the yeah, thing, man, sad. is that like I can't get too ripped up. Um, you know, I can't get too ripped up watching the game I because I got to do the radio show. Now we, we lost Sully for a second. We lost you for All like 30 right. seconds. We, like, yeah. Yeah. You guys did lose me. What I said was like, I, I can't get too tanked during the game. Cause I got to do the radio. I know. Show. So if I'm That's slurring what I'm words and yeah. yeah, that'd be hilarious <laughs> if you did though. Like, I'll make yeah, all the was... from Tim's baby. Play I that song. Play that song. Jail Crutcher. He go fuck himself. <laughs> I'm sick of his shit and I am done with it. I'm is done with anybody, this season. Is there anybody there slowly helping you run the, the, the show? Like a Yeah, a yeah. Shout, yeah. Shout out to uh to Justin Kenner at uh at ESPN radio. Um I haven't thanked them enough. And um, you know, I have to obviously thank the owners of Tim's and um and everybody over there because they've been extremely accommodating to us. Uh, you know, let me have the show, let me do whatever I want to do on the show. And, um, 
and you know they gave me some free beers while we're doing the broadcast so come on down man it would be a great time honestly if you want to watch the game of tim's great if you don't Come on over after. I'll be doing the show right there, like I said, from 5.30 to 6, God willing, uh, you know, if we get to tip off. Uh, but like I said, got UD, got Old Miss Saturday, 2.30 tip off at UD Arena. Uh, no pregame show this week, but I will be coming to you with the game day morning. Five minutes of what you need to know on Saturday morning for the game uh, before I'm making my way down to Dayton. And uh, guys, I love I love the drive down to Dayton. One back. I hate it, but it's um, <laughs> it's going to be 6 a.m. 6 a.m. Central when I hit the road, uh, head down to Dayton this week. So Merry Christmas to me, baby. That's what I love doing. I yeah. Love the passion. <laughs> the passion. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, for Blackburn and KT, my name's Sully. You're listening to Talking Out Loud, the most intelligent Dayton Flyers basketball conversation on the radio, internet, or otherwise. We thank you for sticking around for the last or the last hour, full hour, listening to this conversation. There's two rules when we take them out. Blackburn, what's the first rule? Wear the red. KT, what's the second rule? You gotta be loud. That's right. Real Big Fish is a song we take you out with. It's called Beer. Here it is. We'll see you next week. No, crap. We won't see you next week. It's Christmas. We're taking the week off. Get the fuck out of here. Goodbye. <laughs> she called me late last night. Say she loved me so. Didn't matter anymore. I say she never cared and that she never will.
Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.